I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we're in a passage, John 14, that we were in just a few weeks ago, actually, when I preached on the Trinity as a part of this look at the Apostles' Creed. And, and I hope that one of the things, this is going to be a different sermon, by the way. And, and I hope that one of the things that that does is it, it reminds us of the depth of God's word. And that there could be a lot. I mean, this is, all, this is true, really, every single week, is that there's a lot in a passage that I am not able to touch on. But this week, the focus is on part of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And this is our series going through the Apostles' Creed. We're now to, there's the first part that is about God the Father, and then the biggest chunk is about Jesus the Son, and then now here we are, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And actually, if we get to the rest of it, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, there is a sense in which many argue that this is in here this way because those things flow from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a little bit of an introduction to those things that are coming in the next number of weeks. I I don't know how many of you guys uh, regularly feel the need or the desire for somebody, uh, sometimes maybe to tell you what to do. I I think about, we're we're now, that, that might not be the way that you think about it, but give you advice that would be good, right? Think about the fact that our, our kids are now old enough, and my oldest is getting married in June, and like this, this reality that they look to us for uh, advice and you know, how to do life, uh, and they do look to us sometimes, our kids, and, and I think we're still trying to figure it out. Uh, we, we don't always have the answers, and, uh, and we walk through a life, we regularly, Steph and I talk about the fact that so much of life is, is gray, right? We, we want the black and white, okay, here's what you should do. Uh, here's how you should spend your money, you know, on these different, this is how you think about the priorities, and here's what you should do with your time, and here's how you should think about what school you're going to choose, and all, all of these things, right, and, and life is just full of, and feels, in some sense, more and more chaotic all the time, and, and we don't know how to think about things, and, and sometimes we long for somebody to give us direction, to walk alongside us, and in some sense, tell us what to do. And the picture here is not the Holy Spirit just telling us what to do, though there is, there is a sense of that and giving us his word. But imagine the disciples as they were with Jesus. And this, this conversation here, these words from Jesus are to the disciples in the upper room, the last meal that he's going to share with them before he is arrested and tried and uh, killed on the cross. And, and he has some very specific things to share with them. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about leaving and then the Holy Spirit being sent to be with them. As this guide, as this one who walks alongside them in the midst of the chaos, is present with them and directs them in their lives. This is this incredible promise that Jesus is giving them. One that we probably spend less time on, and part of it we're going to see is because getting our minds around the Holy Spirit can be a little bit more difficult than our minds around God the Father or God the Son. God the Spirit is a little bit maybe more nebulous, seems less clear to us. Uh, We'll talk about that in a moment. But there is a sense in which we're invited into the, uh, as Tim Keller describes it, the dizzying, unique, and wonderful theology of the Trinity. 
And the Spirit certainly falls into that as the third person of the Trinity. We're going to see three things about the Holy Spirit. One is who, two is what, and three is how. So who, what, and how. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the, to the dizzying, unique, and wonderful doctrine of the Trinity, and particularly the Holy Spirit, that we might be encouraged and changed in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who? The question is, who, who is the Spirit? And, and to be clear, that is the question that we should be asking. Who is the Spirit? Not what is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is a divine person. To start with divine. The, the, again, as I've mentioned already, the third person of the Trinity. He is divine. Verse 16, we see Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another helper to be with you forever. Now, helper is this word that is used to describe the Spirit both here in verse 16, also in verse 26. And it can be translated in different versions of the Bible as advocate, helper, comforter, counselor. And, and part of that is because there's not really an adequate word. But we'll, we'll, let's focus first on the another. So there is a helper, and, and Jesus is indicating that he is a helper. God is actually himself described as a helper in much of Scripture. But Jesus is going to send another helper. And there are two Greek words, two Greek words. It went like this. It's actually two. Two Greek words that, uh, that are used to refer to another. And one is hetero, which is opposite from, another opposite from. But the word here is alo, which is just the same as the formal, as the former. One just like the former. One who is coming, another helper will be just like the one who was there. And so this description of another helper, one who is just like Jesus, is a part of the picture of him being divine. Jesus has just said in this chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the second person of the Trinity. He has clearly painted himself as divine, as God himself. And so we have the Spirit coming, who is also God himself, stepping in just like Jesus. He is the Holy Spirit. Holy, certainly at times, means just set aside, sanctified, separated for, but often it refers to the holiness of God. And all of his perfection. And we find that here with the description of the Holy Spirit. But the thing that we often lose track of is the the fact that he is a person. That Holy Spirit is the the third person of the Trinity. We think of him in these, again, these nebulous, hard-to-define terms. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. But it's harder to get our minds around. There's a confusion here. Sometimes we think about him like a force. Even the force, you know, may the force be with you. And there's this, this force, this nebulous force at work in the world. It's the spirit. And hopefully we can just kind of get a little bit of that. And, uh, and so we don't think about him as a person oftentimes, which would be a mistake. Partly this comes because there's a, a abuse of understanding of the spirit in the church. And think about him and, and operating as though he is a, a force that we can get a little bit of in different levels. But some of that also comes, let's be clear, some of it comes from the language that is used in the scripture to describe the Spirit. Symbolic language that describes him in different places. To be filled with the Spirit, we find in in multiple places. We we see him described, again, symbolically as a dove, 
or wind or breath or fire or a cloud, the Spirit of God operates. And so it puts in our mind, though this is symbolic, it puts in our mind this, even just the word spirit, right, is this nebulous thing that is hard to to get a hold of. And to be clear, there is something really powerfully spiritual happening here, that we live in this world where there is the, the very real physical, and Jesus came as a physical person. We talked about that, and he now physically sits at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling over all things. That There is a real physicality to the world, but there is also a supernatural, spiritual thing that is happening, and that Christianity, the reason that we gather on Sunday mornings is because we're stepping into that spiritual story that, that can't always be accessed or experienced in the same way that the physical world is. And so we're invited into the spiritual story of which the Holy Spirit is inviting us. But he is very clearly described as a person. And that's the part we, we, we focus more on some of the symbolic language that is used, and we, we lose his personhood. Verse 16 and 17, he's going to send this helper, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. There is this clear picture of the spirit being this person who works in the world. He can be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4. He can be outraged, Hebrews 10. He can love, Romans 15. He is able to act in this world as as a person. And so to think about him as the advocate, the counselor, the helper, the, uh, the helper, the comforter, you know, actually to think about him in those roles, however, whichever one we focus on, I think it should be encouraging us to think about him as a person, not just this nebulous force, but an actual person who comes alongside us and counsels us and comforts us and advocates for us and helps us That is the picture that we have of the Spirit. That is the promise that we have as the one who will come and dwell with you and be in you is this picture of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and that we are invited into a relationship with him. Again, we have to to step into the spiritual world in which we've been called. And uh, just note one of the other hard places that we struggle here is if we think about the other persons of the Trinity, God the Father, we can picture a father. God the Son, we can picture a son. God the Spirit is, it's again, an invitation into this unique, dizzying, wonderful, spiritual world that that God has called us, invited us into, that he has created and he works in such a way, and we've talked about this already, that that he, he works supernaturally, spiritually, Virgin birth, we see Jesus being fully God, fully man. We see that he died and rose from the dead. This is a a spiritual story that we're invited into. And we are invited into relationship with this spiritual person, the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity. So it's a bit of who he is. What does he do? And we are only going to be able to scratch the surface here, to be clear. Reference two books that I've read in the past, and they're thick, and they're all about the Holy Spirit. And that, those are just like two among, I'm sure, thousands 
of books about the Holy Spirit, right? So there's a lot out there. There's a lot we're not going to be. And, and then we are only touching on a few of the verses that even talk about the Holy Spirit and his role. But let's just, let's do that. Let's uh, brush the surface here. What does the Holy Spirit do? He teaches the truth. He is, in verse 17, himself, the spirit of truth. That he reminds us of what Jesus has said, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your, remem- your remembrance all that I have said. He's going to remind us of the truth that Jesus spoke. The, the, the truth that Jesus lived out, the Holy Spirit is going to remind us of that. He's going to uh, allow us to remember. This is the role that he plays regularly. We find in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that men wrote the scripture as they were carried along, inspired by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, and this is talking about the Old Testament. We find this, uh, this spiritual truth continues into the New Testament. That the Holy Spirit is a part of inspiring the scripture. God's special, unique revelation of himself. Him speaking to his people so that we have now in front of us God's word, his scripture to us, revealing who we are, revealing who he is, that this comes to us, this truth comes through the power of the Spirit. He is one who proclaims truth. And not only that, he illuminates it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, talks about the fact that we, we can't even understand the Scripture, so we have his revealed word to us that gives us direction in life, that is the very foundation of all that we are and do as a people, as a church, as individuals, this, this is called to be our, our basis for understanding what is true in the world. And, and this is the basis certainly for us as a church, how we move forward is God's revealed word to us. But we have it, but we can't understand it, we see, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, unless the Spirit reveals it to us. And we probably all know people who know Scripture better than we do who don't follow Jesus, who don't believe that it's actually true and a real and spiritual story. And this picture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is that, that we're able to understand it and believe it because the Spirit works in our hearts. That he is the one who reveals truth. He illuminates it. It's, it's the difference between knowing that, that the knowledge that honey is sweet and then actually knowing the sweetness of honey. Another comparison I could give is, uh, I don't know how many of you have eaten Marmite. Uh, it's a, a very British food. I guess it's, it's, yeah, it is food. Um, and it's, uh, so I have a British friend, I'm not naming names. I have a British friend and he said, you have to try this. And so he, he let me take some home and try it. And I just never got to the point where I was going to try it. He described it. And I've actually looked up a description. This is from The Guardian, which is a, a British publication. It says, the taste is so unique as to defy description, but think of a yeasty, salty, soy sauce-esque flavor with the consistency of old engine oil. <laughs> some people really like eating it, and some people don't like eating it at all. And, and I'd heard all those things, right? And, and I had it described to me, but until I was over at this unnamed friend's house across the street from us, I, uh, I, I didn't have it until he, his, his son, also British, all his kids are British, uh, fixed some and brought it out on toast with butter, all the ways you're supposed to do it, and I was able to try Marmite. And I now know what Marmite tastes like. It's, it's no longer just this description, right? I've experienced it. 
And I actually am apparently one of those really unique people that didn't love it or hate it. I'm like, eh, it's fine. Uh, uh, normally, apparently, you either love it or you hate it. That's kind of the, the thing. But, uh, but it, it did really, I mean, that is one of those foods that it actually took experiencing to know what it was like. You, it, I couldn't try to describe it better than the Guardian just did. And, and you should try it sometime. Go over to uh, Adrian's. Oh, I, I did name him. It's Adrian's house. Um, and uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll serve you some, or Sammy will. Um, it is, uh, it, it, this is this picture, though. Here's the illustration, right? Uh, the jump is that we, we can know about, but to actually know and experience something is, is very different. And the Spirit invites us and, and by his power allows us to actually experience what is true. I mean, this is, these are pretty significant promises, by the way. Or, or declarations. This isn't just something that we take as, as head knowledge, even in itself, that he would out, allow us to experience his truth. And as he, as he allows us to experience his truth, he does that by being with us. The, the second what we see of his work is that he is with us. That, that part of what the Holy Spirit does is he just is God's presence with us. Look at verse 23. We've already seen it actually in verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The the idea is picked up on, again, in verse 23. Talking about the Father, Jesus and the Father. We will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There is this promise of the presence of God, and there is a promise of the way that we experience it with the Spirit. I actually talked about this a little bit, and I'll repeat this because I think it's helpful when I talked about the ascension. So Jesus, we think of it as, okay, Jesus is going, he's leaving, and, and, and how negative that is, because we want to be with Jesus. And I, I, I mean, I, I would love to actually be in the physical presence of Jesus. But one of the things that he was saying as Mary clung to him, and he said, Mary, Mary don't cling to me. I haven't yet gone to the Father. It's, he's promising something better, because the reality is when Jesus was here physically, before he ascended and now sits physically at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he was physically limited as to where he could be. So he was either with Mary or with the disciples in the upper room or he was walking on the road to Emmaus. But the Holy Spirit is God's presence with his people wherever we are. This is a promise of God's presence with us in this beautifully unique, powerful way that is not bound by the limitations of of space. And so we live with him in you, in us. That's an amazing promise to think about how that might transform our lives. And we we jump over it. If we've been in the church for any period of time, we've heard this, right? God with us, Holy Spirit in our hearts, in you, those kind of things. And and to to dwell and to think about, and here's the application, just to think about this truth. How would it shape us? to think about God actually dwelling in us. Some of you guys have met Andras Vishki, who has been here and shared with us before. He is a, a we, there's a whole group of folks, including missionaries and local pastors, and Andras is a part of the church in Cluj, Romania. So this team that we've supported, some of us have been over there, some of them have been here. And Andras is a, a playwright, a Hungarian playwright. So. He's ethnically Hungarian. He lives in Romania, so he's a Hungarian-Romanian. And uh, he's a nationally known playwright. You can look up his Wikipedia page 
uh, and it's really fascinating. Um, but when he came, and he shared with the church, and then he, had, he came over to our house for a meal, and there was something about being honored to have Andras Vishti, this internationally known playwright, in our house, and, and not because we ever thought, I mean, we've spent time, I'd spent time with Andras before in Romania, and I, I didn't have any illusion that I had to impress Andras when he came to the house, right? But we did clean the house, uh, as we often do for guests. And again, not because this is not a comment on if somebody comes over that you want to honor, you clean that. That's, that, that's not what I'm saying. But you, there are times when you, when you do that, right? Like you, you put things in order to have somebody over to your house. And sometimes you set a nice table or you, you do things special for, for folks. And then when they're there, and this is particularly true of Andras, is it just brings, he brings a, a joy and a, a, a change to the house, Right? It makes it sound like there's not joy in our house. That's not what I mean. But there's a, there's a, particular, there's a, a, a particular experience of having guests in your house, and, and, and sometimes particular guests that bring this unique atmosphere. And it's fun. It's a celebration. The stories that he tells are awesome. I mean, he's a playwright. That's why he tells stories, right? He also grew up in an internment camp because his father was in prison for being a pastor. And the stories are amazing, right? And he also is hilarious and has this amazing wit, and, and you just think about that picture of him affecting the way that you, you the way that your house is, and then the experience that you're having there. And that's just the smallest picture of, of what it is to, to recognize that God has said, I, I will come to you and dwell with you, to be, to be in your home, to shape you, to, to, to change, in some sense, the way that you, you live. And, and to experience the, the joy that you have. or there, there are all kinds of ways in which it shapes us if we think about his presence with us and how that might change the way that we think about all kinds of things. Because this promise of the Holy Spirit with us. And as he is with us, broadly speaking, because this is where we're just kind of only able to, to brush the surface of the Holy Spirit and what he can do is, is he applies the benefits of salvation to us. He applies as, as the one who is present with us, as the, the helper, we find, verse 16 and 17, mentioned this before, advocate, comforter, counselor, all those words are used because none of them are really sufficient. We need something else that English doesn't have or it would use that word, right? But helper is a little bit too weak unless we dive into the depths of it. It's biblical use to describe God himself, but it feels like, oh, the helper feels too weak. Counselor feels too detached, you know, just somebody that you meet with once a week or that kind of thing. Uh, comforter seems too soft, really, you know, just somebody patting your back and being a presence. That's, all of these are really good, to be clear, but just not enough. Advocate, which is, I, I think, maybe for me, the, the best uh, of the options, uh, still seems too formal. Uh, even if it's the best, it feels too formal. The, the Greek word here is parakaleo. And para is to stand alongside. And kaleo really uh, carries this to call, to prod, to urge, and even to argue with. This, this idea of, of being alongside us on a particular mission. The Holy Spirit is... God is continually about a particular mission. He comes alongside us and, and to, to argue with us, to prod us, to, to challenge us, to encourage us, to help us grow, to, to step into our weaknesses and, and help us move forward there. 
Tim Keller says that really he, he would like ultimate friend as the word. An ultimate friend is one who would really challenge us, right? Would affirm us in the, in the good things, would challenge us in the hard things, would move us forward in him. But advocate, I think, does, this is an, another idea that I uh, have mentioned in this series, but the advocate is one who is arguing for us. He's making the case for us. He's advocating for us before the Father. And not in the sense of, oh, Pat, sin again. Let's, let's have mercy again, right? Come on, God, let's, 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 uh, let's one more time, let's forgive him. No, it's, it's the picture of advocating for us is it's done. Justice has been done through, through Jesus. The case is settled. It's an arguing for justice, which is for us who trust in Jesus, a declaration of it's, you're good. You're justified. You're right before him. You're a child of God. And, and all of this comes, let's remember, he's a person advocating for us. He's a person counseling us, a person comforting us, a person helping us, not just this general nebulous force that we get different degrees of, but this is the person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, doing all of these things for us. That, that actually, I think, I hope, gives us a fuller picture of the ways in which he is able to advocate and comfort and counsel and help us. Some of the other ways that he applies benefits of salvation is he declares that we're children of God, Romans 8, 16, so that we cry out, Abba, Father. That's the work of the Spirit, in fact. He convicts of sin, verse 15, 7. That's that prodding, that arguing with us, that addressing us in our need. He is a seal, a pledge, or, or a guarantee of our salvation, of our relationship with the Lord. Ephesians 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this picture of him being that guarantee for us. He gives us gifts so that we might serve the body, 1 Corinthians 12. He leads us into unity. Really, Acts 2, Pentecost, the Spirit coming upon the people of God, the, the function there is to create the church by drawing people together and unifying them. That's a work that he does and continues to do for us now. So then, if this is who he is and this is what, what he does, and again, only a small picture of what he does, how do we access that? How, how do we make that a part of our lives? How do we experience that ourselves? And there are a few pictures that, again, just brush the surface of this in, in this passage. And the first is that we believe. We're invited to believe. I mean, we, we're, we're hearing these truths. We're invited to, to know them, but then know them not just for this intellectual knowledge, but to believe them, to step into them. Verse 17 gets at this idea. You know him, and to know somebody, you have to know about them. You have to know some truths of who he I mean, to know this person, we have to know that he is a person, to know some of what he does, to, to know that he reveals truth, to, to know that we can interact with him through reading the word and, and prayer because he has revealed that word to us and he helps us understand it. Verse 29, which was not read, we didn't quite get there, but verse 29 says, I have told you before, I have told you this before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. There's an invitation to believe in the truth of who Holy Spirit is and how he works. We're invited to step into this supernatural story, this spiritual story, and believe it so that we may know him. 
You know him, verse 16, so that we may be in relationship with him. And there's some really clear application, and this is probably application that you've never heard in any sermon before, but you read the Bible, and you pray, and you meditate, and you worship. Those are means of God's grace, and they are about direct connection with the Holy Spirit who has revealed these truths to us. So being in relationship with him is interacting with the truth that he has given us, and then also praying and worshiping and, and doing these things with the people. We're going to talk about all, we just remember again and again, being given the gift of the Spirit and all of the yous in Scripture that are plural yous. It's for the church. So that we're coming to that, right? The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the, the fact that this all plays out in the body of Christ. It certainly plays out for us as individuals, but it is equally important that we understand it happening in the body of Christ that we would know him together, that we would pray and read the Bible and meditate and worship and, you know, and thinking about the ways that we would do that beyond your here on a Sunday morning, part of worship, but the ways that we would do that beyond this. As individuals, as a group, what would it look like for us to engage the spirit in these ways? And then the last thing we see is there is this picture of obedience. We obey, we believe, we know him, interact with him, relate to him, and, and we do obey. There's this tie-in to this changes our lives. That if he is with us, it changes who we are. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this idea comes uh, also in verse 15 and verse 21 and 23 and 24. And we maybe wish that there wasn't this tie of, of the obedience and the spirit. We, we, we don't, you know, kind of, it feels like legalism. It feels like I, I don't, I don't want to, have things required of me. I don't want to have to think about what I'm supposed to do. And it's right to react against legalism, right? It's not about this. He's not saying that in order for me to be with you, that you have to do certain things. That, that's, a, that's a twisting of the order of the way that God does things. He actually brings his salvation by working and then we respond. But if it's true of what he's done, if his presence is true with us, then then there is a reaction. There is a response. I don't know why it's doing that. Um, but there is, there is this recognition that our lives will be different if the Holy Spirit actually dwells with us. I've talked about this before. Of my life is different because I'm married to Stephanie. Meaning I, I make different choices than I did when I was single if I were still single now, my, my life would look very different. I would be making different choices about the way I spend my time or my money. And it's not, and not in a sense that like, oh, I wish I could make different choices. It just changes being in relationship with somebody, in, in, in relationships with children, relationship with friends, all of those things. If you're in real relationship with somebody, it affects your life. It changes the way that you live. And that is the invitation here to allow it to affect our lives. But because of what he's done, because he has saved, because he has worked, because he has promised his spirit, then we're invited to change. And it is a response to his saving work. It's a response to his promise of his presence. It's a response to what Christ has done by having his body broken and his blood poured out. That all of this is in response to what he has done and it has to start with what he has done. And so then we rejoice and what he's done and his presence promised to us so that we might find hope in the spirit working in our lives. Let's pray.